Overthinking It podcast episode, I think this is 11. Someone on the internet, can anyone see where we left off? Um, Olympic cast. Uh, we're here to overthink the Olympics, which are, I think by a certain definition, popular culture. I mean, they're culture of the populace or, well, you know. Exactly. Certain, and judging by the ratings that NBC has been having, they're quite popular. A- amen. And that's I mean, Matt Belinke. If I had a, a water cooler, that's what I would be talking about. And that is Ryan Sheely. And uh, Matt Ryan and I, Matt Skyping in from New York, New York, and uh, Ryan and I in Connecticut, uh, the capital of the world, New Haven, Connecticut. The capital of the life of the mind. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, was, I, was I was saying that as I was googling something, so it wasn't really the best. We're here to overthink the uh, Olympics for you, Matt. Do you have a favorite Olympic moment from when you were growing up? Do you have like a? Because I know you're a huge devotee. Yes, I, I absolutely am. I, I do. Uh, one that really jumps out at me, I, I guess it would be. Oh, you know, I, I always forget before they start to stagger the games, it would be the winter games in, in either 86 or 88. Anyone have a game? It would be 88, right? Yeah, it would be 88. 80, 88, those were the Olympic years. And I was really – speed skating was my favorite uh, sport back then. And so I set up a like a blankets around uh, the living room, and when they would speed skate, I would run in circles around the blankets. The blankets would be like my track. And I remember, you know, like I think back then that was the year that like Dan Jansen was supposed to be like the big winner and he kept falling down and smashing into the ice really hard. And I would do the same thing because I was like rooting for him. And so I actually like remember like crashing into the wall sort of in sympathy. It's funny you say that because uh, during the 96 Olympics, I was really inspired by the women's gymnastics team um, and Carrie Strug, and I actually gave myself a stress fracture um, and, and, and tried to complete the, uh, the same, uh, same final vault, um, but then ended up just breaking my other leg as well. Um, I feel like that's the least we could do as Americans. I mean, seriously, though, I mean, like, before I just, like, that, that is, I think, for me... Like up to this point in time, what really like sums up the Olympic spirit, right? That you know, even you know, it's like America should never be an underdog. But there's all like the Olympic Games has so many events and so many little internal drama that you know, in that in that moment, like you know, America is an underdog, and and you you still you know, even if you're someone who hates the Lakers and hates the Yankees, you can still find yourself rooting for America um, against all odds and, and yeah. those kinds of moments. And it was, you, know, you know what's weird is that I always – and maybe this is just me drinking the Olympic Kool-Aid. I always thought of America as Olympic underdogs because sort of I grew up with this idea that like all the evil countries, the, the Soviet unions and the, and the Chinas had like giant factories where they would take babies away from their moms. And like basically – do you guys remember the training montage in Rocky Four? Where like Ivan Drago is in this like super like the basically the Death Star of sports medicine, um, and and then like Americans by contrast they're like training you know before school they're training in their spare time and like broken down gyms they're not you know they're, they're not professional athletes but they're amateurs who are just doing it for the love well, of the this game. Well, this was the issue. This was what was that issue when certain kinds of professionals were allowed to compete in the Olympics because yeah. the the full time quote unquote amateurs of the Eastern Bloc countries of of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries were just wiping the floor with, you know, with the free world where you had to like, you know, go to school or work a work a different job or something. I mean, there were early, 
the earliest, my extensive wikipedia of this issue uh, uh, reveals to me that the earliest conflicts were with ski instructors who in early Olympic Games were not allowed to compete, though they were, everyone acknowledged, even the, the people who ended up being Olympic competitors, that they were superior skiers, but they made money at the sport, not by practicing the sport, but by teaching the sport to other people. And that, at that time, the, the, they were so, you know, um, such sticklers for those regulations that that disqualified them. And so the, um, you know, the, uh, the dream team or things like that, like when, when, uh, professional athletes were allowed in, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a, um, well, it was kind of a reality check moment that like, this is what it, you know, this is what it's been all along. But, but you know what? Like, I was always of the opinion that the whole amateur professional thing, that shouldn't really play into the Olympics. I feel like the Olympics should be the best athletes at that particular sport and that, like, you shouldn't make this distinction between, like, oh, you accepted some money and therefore you can't be the best. You know, because the Olympics in people's mind is to find out who is the best in the world at that sport. People don't make this distinction between, oh, they're, they're just – these are the amateurs and the professionals have their own way of competing. So I, I feel like just, you know, all the bar- – you know, if, if, you're, if you're faster than everyone else, you should be in the Olympics regardless of, like, you know, where you got your, your fancy Rolls Royce. But I, and I think it's interesting because, you know – after the after the dream team and you know the the next couple of iterations of U.S. basketball teams is it, it's appeared that you know just having you know the best basketball players in the world wasn't enough. Um, I mean, we really turded it up for the last couple of Olympics to the extent that now you know a team you know of American basketball players could be considered to be called the redeem team, which is like kind of ridiculous. But it's you know again the, the whole program is being considered. Um, as a as as underdogs, and it's I mean it's it makes it, it it adds a certain amount of drama that as they like just steamroller every single team, like I guess it becomes a little less and less, but it's, it's still as exciting. Have either of you been to an Olympic Games? Like seen Olympics live? No. You know, I, I wouldn't really – I don't think I'd want to. I feel like the Olympics, more than even other sports, is probably better on TV than – you know, I, 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 would I, can, rather... I can personally testify that that is in fact the case. Oh, wow. I, did, I didn't know you would – you would uh, tell us the story. 1984 Olympic Games were in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So, you were, you know, were how sort old? Of thing. Sorry? You were how old? Four. So, like, you wouldn't have enjoyed it in any case. You were just disappointed that they weren't, like, you know, uh, My Little Ponies or whatever the hell you watched in 1984. How did you know? Actually, no, in 1984, I think I was into Gem. She's truly outrageous. She she was, in fact, truly outrageous. I think it affected my musical taste, definitely, for years and years. Gem, Gem is basically Hannah Montana, right? She has, like, she's a singer with a secret identity. Yeah, exactly. Though her, she's a technocrat. I... What? She said she her secret identity is not like is not a conspiracy. It's it's done through technology and a giant hologram producing computer uh, whose name is Synergy, uh, you know, outfits Gem with the, you know, the best in, you know, costumes and also like sound reinforcement and projections and things like this. And Gem and her holograms and Gem accesses Synergy by uh, grabbing her star ear, ear, you should see the look on Ryan's face right now. Grabbing her star earring and speaking, much in the manner of like a Star Trek communicator or something like that. Uh, and she um, competes against 
the misfits who are the bad girl band. Why are they bad? Well, because they're not Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> I wonder if the actual misfits, you know, Glenn Danzig, <laughs> the punk band, ever actually sued the misfits and the Gem and the Holograms. So, listeners, just so you know, the bait and switch actually is complete. This is never intended to be an Olympics uh, podcast at all, but actually, from the outset, was intended to be a Gem and the Holograms uh, podcast. So the the, the event <laughs> truly outrageous, truly, truly, truly. <laughs> the the event I saw was uh, weightlifting. I saw like oh, wow. the like the snatch, the jerk. There, <laughs> How, there, there are there are three different <laughs> ones, really right? Busted that chair early. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there's, the, there's the press, the snatch, and the clean and jerk. Yeah. Um, I, right, and uh, I, you know, I remember what I remember most of all was like long pauses between. Uh, events of any interest. Well, I, I don't know if you saw this, that um, there was just a New York Times article in this past week uh, about weightlifting and said that basically a lot of the action in a weightlifting competition um, takes place behind the scenes. It has to do with um, who the judges or who the coaches are putting out there and what they are saying, what weights they uh, are attempting to, uh, to, to, to lift. And maybe I kind of skimmed the article, admittedly. But um, my sense is that, my understanding is that sort of this kind of competitive weightlifting, um, you know, has a structure in which a competitor set, declares that they are going to attempt a certain weight. And there's sort of like a game of chicken or a, like, I dare you, I double dog dare you to it. And so there's actually a lot of strategy in terms of um, how that how the amounts get ratcheted up, and so it would, it would imagine that just watching it, you actually don't see a lot of the dra- drama and the action because you just see somebody, you know, every like twenty minutes, you see somebody trying to come out on stage, and that's actually not where the battle is won yeah, and yeah. lost. Is your right. point? Unless, 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 unless your uh, your uh, elbow becomes totally distended like the Hungarian weightlifter. Do you guys see those photos? No. Google, if no, you're, but I'm Google about to in about thirty Hungarian seconds. Hungarian weightlifter elbow. Um, and so basically, weightlifting you're saying is like basically a game of chess, but chess the pieces were very very heavy. Yes. Wow, Hungarian. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, stop! Stop! Okay, moving. It's good. It's the new two girls one cup. Of the Olympic, uh, <laughs> Olympic podcast. Google that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it already. Um, do we? Uh, doesn't look right at all. Do we want to go into? Do we want to go into some of the events? Like, um, well, Matt, you watched. You watched a lot of it. You watched the NBC primetime coverage, right? Yeah, well, because I was I was actually on vacation, uh, and you know, with with my son, so he would go to sleep at eight o'clock at night, and you know, because I, I didn't even have internet, that was pretty much it. You know, you turn on the Olympics, and you'd you'd be with with Costas. You didn't uh, even have internet. Where were you vacationing? Kosovo. No, I mean, I, I, you know, they, they like to charge you. We're still in this sort of era of, uh, of hotel internet where, like, the hotels have internet, but they want to make it, like, a, a perk that you have to pay for on a I day by that's, day. Yeah, that's ridiculous. They don't charge you for water, do they? I mean, they charge uh, you for water they charge out you of the, the mini water. But... No, they charge you for, like, the, the good water. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not so a they, dog. So they should give you free dial-up, but if you want high speed, you have to pay for it. Like, um... now, now you're thinking. I, I would stay at Chile Estates. <laughs> estates. 
<laughs> motor cord in. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I guess why don't we just start with the 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 very uh, fast uh, merman elephant in the room, uh, Michael Phelps. Yeah. Did you see the one where he he edged out the guy by a hundredth of a second? I, I saw. I mean, I, I saw it. I saw the replays. I like squinted at the photos online, and it's still uh, you. You have to trust the little computer because I, there's really no way to see that he won. It's um, beyond. It, it's beyond the capacity of the human eye to comprehend. Which is like, wow. to that point, does it like? I mean, at what point? I mean, if if technology keeps getting be, being able to sort of distinguish more and more minute differences, at what point do you still call that a victory? And at what point do you call that a tie and then have them race again? Because I mean, when you're at one one hundredth of a second, I mean, I mean, especially well, I because every one of his other victories was a world record. So I feel like, like by by like that, like that is like by for all by his standards, a defeat. Like, um, and you know, that, that close of a margin, like, I mean, at the, at the best, like they should have called it a tie or, or rerun it and give Lazlo, Lazlo Kesh. Yeah. They don't really like ties in the Olympics. I feel like they they make a certain amount of medals. They definitely have extras in case of ties, but like, what are you going to do with extra medals after the Olympics are done? eBay. Do you think so? I don't know. I'd actually be kind of curious. Like they probably, I'd probably like if you're a high-ranking uh, party official in China, you get like a spare like bronze medal that they had just in case of like some sort of rowing tie. Please don't take, please don't take Matt's comments as any disparagement towards the glorious People's Republic. Maybe they send them. Maybe it's kind of. Maybe they'll end up like in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, kind of like with all those like. Um, Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl champion t-shirts. <laughs> and it'll be some kid, some child soldier wearing a bronze medal for, 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 for rhythmic gymnastics. The spare bronze medal. <laughs> yeah, with a mistaken name on it. Or no, Olympic medals don't have names. They're not Oscars. No, do Oscars... Well, are- Michael Phelps has all had his name on them already. <laughs> You know I what? I, so. I actually just kind of assume that Oscars don't like have names on them. They're just Oscars. But did you, you know, know differently? Here's something that I thought. I mean, there are all these world records being set, at least in swimming. I saw a lot of swimming, I guess, because that's what NBC was broadcasting when I happened to be watching. Yeah. Um, did, are you are you surprised that there are still world records to set? That like don't at a certain point don't we reach the level the limit of human endurance? in performing certain tasks? I think we're approaching it asymptotically. Um, you know, yeah. we're, like, we're still going to, I mean, there's, there's going to be at some point, like the, I mean, it's sort of like I was saying before, the, 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 like the amount by which the world record is broken is going to become smaller and smaller until it's like, but it's not like swimming. Zero. It's not like swimming is like a new thing under this. Although level. you know what people have been saying is that the 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 world records this year can at least be partially attributed to those sort of uh, the the suits, the Aquaman suits that they're all wearing now. Which I know they've been wearing them for a few Olympics, but apparently they're they're better. They're actually seamless somehow. Like they're literally. So they're, we're at the point where technology. Where I mean, this is gem and the holograms all over again, right? <laughs> It was connected. This was intentional. I mean, that is to say, we're at the point where we're at the point where we're not actually talking about human achievement at all. We're talking about a technological improvement and like the ingenuity 
of the engineers is actually really what is setting the world so, record. So you, you sound like Wired magazine. No, but this is an interesting point because <laughs> some of these, you know, once I think once Michael Phelps won number seven, the word superhero is being bandied about a lot. So it begs the question of, you know, by by Matt's analogy, um, the kind of you know, he Michael Phelps is more like Iron Man than he is like Spider Man. I mean, yeah, what he's you, an Iron Man, Batman type, not a Superman, Spider Man type of superhero. Well, I feel like I feel like he's more like Batman because Batman, I feel like, is is a is a better mix between. Uh, physical achievements and technological help. Like Tony Stark is not in particularly great shape. Like no, Tony Stark know, is all over shape, basically. Whereas I feel like like Batman, he works out and like he obviously spent a long time with Liam Neeson. Um, like, wow, that was a great scene. Yeah, in the current they incarnation, have to fight on the ice. The Christian Bale, the Christian Bale Batman. That's definitely the case. So, but yeah, I, I'd say Michael Phelps is is uh, is Batman. So Batman is actually he's like an outlier in that he marries he marries sort of high technology to you know physical achievement, but it's not it's not superhuman physical achievement. It's just very very good shape. Right. Um, or, or as a. If, if you were looking at a, like a Marvel trading card that I used to collect back in the day, it would say Olympic level uh, athletic achievement. Maybe he's like the Hulk, you know, and the, the technology. Maybe maybe what we don't know is that he's actually some has is genetically modified or is in some way which we're not understanding. So that the uh, you know the speedos with fins on them are only the tip of the iceberg. We seem to talk about superheroes a lot on this podcast. Right, like it's it's a topic that comes up again and again. I guess this is the summer of the superhero. There wasn't last summer, also the summer of the superhero. But like you know, I, Iron I Man. Summer in general is the season of heroes. So winter <laughs> Olympians are just just like fucking slumsters <laughs> to like strap on their skis and like go down the slope. Well, so, so <laughs> much of winter the, Olympics. The winter Olympics, the, t- the the season of pussies. <laughs> <laughs> we use gravity to achieve great things. <laughs> Guess. You know, if you ask me, like, I feel like the Summer Olympics is a little loaded compared to the Winter Olympics, and I feel like there's a bunch of sports. And, like, I feel like gymnastics could easily be Winter Olympics. It's all indoors, you know? And then just, like, give the Winter Olympics a little something. Throw them a bone. You know it's interesting? Oh, basketball. I think basketball could yeah, be Yeah, basketball could be basketball. No, but, but the whole thing is that in the winter. But, but no, but then you run into the same trap that that that's why baseball isn't, isn't going to be an Olympic sport anymore because all the good players are busy. So because we're able to, to play basketball as a summer Olympic sport, all the best basketball players in the – or at least you know, I'm talking about the NBA well, players. What we should do available. for the summer Olympics is we should add, also add um, street basketball as a sport because you know, we have volleyball <laughs> and we have beach basketball. <laughs> so why can't we have basketball and street basketball? Just another fucking gold medal for the U.S. Like... <laughs> we send – and we send the what? The Harlem Globetrotters? No, man. I'm um, uh, – Skip to my said, loo. Skip to my loo. We said the professor. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you, did you ever watch? A, there used to be a guy called Escalade. He was like three hundred and fifty pounds. And yeah. He could dunk. Yeah, yeah. My my streetball moniker is Upsy Daisy, um, with an up arrow, a C, a day, and a D. My uh my uh, uh streetball name is uh Cool the Sack because I'm very cool. But then like if you try to get by me, there's no way out. Like you literally have to turn back and go back to where you came from. And do you stop them with your nutsack? <laughs> yeah, because we works on so many levels. <laughs> All right, do, I'm um, running to the trademark office tomorrow. Do we? Uh, 
any other sports you want to see in the uh, in the Olympics in the Summer Olympics? Oh, you mean like sports that aren't Olympic sports and should be added? That ought to um, be added. You know what? There was one I always wanted to see. I actually – don't ask me how I know this, but in the first batch of Olympics, I think up till 1920 or 1924, uh, tug of war was yeah. an Olympic sport. <laughs> and I think that would be the perfect closing sport. It should be every Olympian for an entire country. No, I think actually – you know what? It should, you should have to equal – because obviously not all countries have equal number of people. So I'd say like maybe your top 20 people. So then you you could bring Michael Phelps back. You could you could bring uh, like Nastia Lukin back. Although she weighs like sixty pounds, she'd be terrible at tug of war. But she could, she could come in a. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you you institute rules that like anyone who won a medal for your country has to be on the team. But Something again, like that. It would have to be like somehow balanced. But I, I I like what you're going at because then it would also it would in some ways be a good way to gauge like almost a better way than the medal count. To say like who is the overall champion of the games? Because like you know, you know, countries like Kenya win a ton of medals in distance running. But if you put all of the Kenyan runners on the tug of war team, they're going to be gone uh, pretty fast. Whereas uh, you know, a more um, a more balanced uh, team um, would probably pull that off. What would you do with the uh, shooters? Would they be able to fire uh, you know, during the uh, during the tug of war and pick off tuggers on the? <laughs> You know, you, you know what maybe sort of like was – I don't even know how to put this story in perspective, but I was reading an interview with the, the guy who won the gold medal for the United States in uh, skeet shooting, and he said that like you know he had heard sort of horror stories about athletes who get food poisoning for the Olympics, um, and so that like when he was in Beijing, all he ate was McDonald's. It was literally like a super Sasby type diet for him, and he still won the gold medal. Oh, so I'm like, skeet, I don't know. Skeet, god damn. So he's kind of the Tony Stark of the like, you know, the weapons. I guess. <laughs> he's the Tony I don't know. Stark I'm not going to say that like skeet shooting should not be an Olympic sport, but like, I don't, I don't think that many other Olympic athletes could eat nothing but McDonald's and they win a gold medal. Well, clearly you haven't seen the commercials in which the training Olympians. Uh, uh, talk about how excited they are to uh, eat the, the chicken sandwich the, for the, breakfast. The quote-unquote perfect chicken sandwich. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Michael Phelps is actually the only one who could do I mean, he, he does eat like 10,000 calories a day, so he's going to oh, be needing God, to eat you hear some, that? That is incredible. Uh, eating some, some McDonald's. Um, the thing is, it's, it's one of the few situations in which uh, you know, eating McDonald's is your lowest chance of getting food poisoning. Um, you know, it I, actually I is strange that that's where you go to avoid gastrointestinal problems. Right, that's where I go if I, I, I want to give myself some of those problems. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, are there too many only... sports? Is it like, are there like a glut of sports in the Olympics? Too many? I feel like I, I've, I've definitely seen some sports that – I, all due respect, I feel like synchronized diving could go. Like regular diving, great. I feel like if there's going to be synchronized diving, then every other Olympic sport should also have a synchronized version. There should be synchronized <laughs> hurdles. Um, synchronized – what else would we get? Synchronized basketball where you have two teams yes, playing deep. <laughs> right. Although I like synchronized swimming. I'm looking forward to that. That's – I believe this Thursday and Friday is, is pairs and then teams. Although, honestly, I don't know if there need to be both of those. I feel like the second-ass swimmer should either be like, look, we're either just going to do pairs or we're just going to do teams. Those don't need to be, like, 
two separate because then like it's a slippery slope then they're like all right how about we have small teams and then big teams we have co-ed teams single sex teams and before you know it there's like 18 medals given out in synchronized swimming well, you know where do you draw the line I don't know. It's tough because I mean, each of these, each of the sports is is um, it's governed by its own federation, right? And so there, there's a sort of this federal system of of uh, the International Olympic Committee that allows each sport to um, regulate itself. So I think that there are a lot of you know uh, intra uh, sport um, wranglings, like, and some of them are really old, like you know, dating back to the beginning of the modern Olympics. Um, like the one that doesn't make any sense to me is um, this distinction between rhythmic gymnastics and and what we think of as re- regular gymnastics, which in like the program is is called uh, artistic gymnastics. It just doesn't make any sense. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, it should be. I really think that that is athletic gymnastics, right? And rhythmic gymnastics is artistic gymnastics, and then we should just add breakdancing as rhythmic gymnastics. <laughs> like, I mean, I'll tell you have, you, have you have you guys seen America's Best Dance Crew? On uh, MTV, I mean, there's yeah. like, those guys, those guys yeah. are Olympic quality. I mean, Super Crew—they're basically like uh, they—they're basically doing floor routines to, to Soldier Boy. Like, it's—I um, mean, if that you know, if trampoline should be in the Olympics, like like dance break dancing should be in the Olympics. That's I, I get behind that. I'll start your petition. But I guess I guess it does get back to the question of are there too many sports? Because it's like. You know, either I think it should be either be pared down, or you just like include every fucking thing that you can imagine. Um, isn't there? Aren't there equestrian ev- events in the um, Olympics? That doesn't seem to make sense. That that should be in the horse Olympics. Um, and and you know you can have all, and you can also put that along with horse basketball and horse boxing. Um, and yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like the the horse events are sort of like a little bit, um, yeah. I'll go with you. Do you know, I, I'm actually looking at a list right now of certain sports that used to be in the Olympics and are no longer. Uh, motorboating, uh, <laughs> motorboat racing was in the Olympics. Uh, uh, well, lacrosse that's... was in the Olympics. Croquet was an Olympic sport. Uh, like, so no there longer. are all these martial also, arts in the Olympics. There's like taekwondo and judo and things that, you know, that's like, I don't know. I guess these aren't Western sports. I mean, I guess they're not American sports. You know, I want, one that used to be in it um, for just one Olympic, um, which I'd really like to see come back, is is uh, Finnish baseball, um, which I'm, I'm, you know, don't really understand at all, but it just seems, it's like basically a weirdly convoluted version of baseball. But I think that, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know that the Finns are good at it. Like, I've never heard of it before. But. There are... Uh... I mean, there are just exhibition sports also at the Olympics, aren't there? Yeah, I like um, – they don't do it anymore. I remember they, they did it a few times. Did anyone remember ski ballet from no. Winter Olympics? No, I didn't. Uh, they, they, they def- I definitely remember it happening. I'm not making this up. It was actually like you would, you would turn on some music and then you would ski down sort of like basically the bunny slope and do sort of like uh, dance, on, which is very difficult to do on skis. Skis are not the most graceful footwear, um, but they were pretty, uh, pretty good. All right. Well, maybe, maybe we move on now to what I think is the big question, not being a big sports fan at all, which is the, the, the Chinese question. We, we ready for that? 
Yeah, I'm, I, I think it's interesting. You know, I've definitely had this conversation a few times. Do we have, you know, as sort of right-thinking citizens of a, you know, I don't know, elected government, like, do, do we have a responsibility to vote with our eyeballs or something? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I always hearken back to the sort of foundation myth of the Olympics that, like, you know, way back in, in, in Greek times, you know, once every four years, all the city-states, they would actually stop fighting. They would be, like, in the middle of a war, and they would be like, oh, it's time for the Olympics. No more fighting until it's done. And they would go, and, and because this was, this was actually more important than politics – um, and I, I do kind of agree that, that like you can – even if you're like in the middle of killing each other, you can stop long enough to like partake in like – because there are things that like tie you together as – I guess in that case, it was like you know a common heritage is Greeks. But I feel like we can expand that further and just like you – know, I, I like the idea that, that you know maybe just for these two weeks, you know, there's something that's more important than like uh, China and Tibet. And, you know, whether or not they, they get uh, to look at uh, dailycost.com there or not. But I think that, you know, I mean, the po- even even if you say, okay, let's, like, ignore all of the horrendously shitty things China does, there is, like, I mean, I think the, one of the ways that, you know, politics and war has changed since the, you know, between the modern Olympics and the ancient Olympics is that, you know, a, much of the sort of latter half of the, the modern Olympics uh, era uh, has was filled with the Cold War, and, and and you know, and it was so you know, regardless of what you know, international conflicts were ongoing, you know, the dramas of the Cold War, and even beyond that, of you know, you're thinking about the the Berlin Olympics, um, you know, and then later in, in Munich, you know, there there, like it or not, the dramas of international politics and of the international system. Um, are played out in the in the Olympics, um, and it's and so you know regardless you know so you know the, in the you know it, whether you know so I think for me the big political questions are less about like do we boycott the Olympics or do you you know what is, what does watching the Olympics say about does it condone China's policy and it's more about like you know what you know what what do we read you know in as you're keeping an eye on the medal count and the fact that you know. Yeah, I think at least last time I looked at it, China's kicking our ass in gold, but we're fucking holding it down in the bronze medals. Um, Which I don't know. Does that say something about? Is that a coincidence or not? I don't know. I, I I mean I don't know. I guess it's an open question. But I mean, you definitely do see that. I mean, I I think that China really coming out um, this strongly in the medal count. I think they were third in the Athens. Olympics in medal count, but I'm not sure, you know, because it was always, you know, during the, the Cold War Olympics, it was always U.S. and Soviet Union, um, and, you know, this is, like, it's no coincidence that, you know, that, you know, this is China taking, as the host country, taking center stage, and also, you know, showing these these powerhouse athletes, especially in these sports that require, you know, this, this in-depth training, in-depth control over the human body and will, you know, I'm thinking synchronized diving and um, of gymnastics, yes, that, like, and and the uh, even the the opening ceremony that you know they are showing us what what they are, and they were also good at the shooting events. And basically, they are not a country that we want to go to conventional war with. You know, it, this is like a this is you know the equivalent in a game of chicken of dropping the steering wheel out of the window, like 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 they would fuck us up. 
Like, and I, that's how I read it. Um, you know, well, there's just more of them than us. Well, yeah, and and they not only that, but you know, it's not like you know, uh, you know, hurting cats. You know, when I was. Um, on the night of the but what is like hurting cats, honestly? What is well? So it's funny as we say this because you know the. I mean, how many thousands of drummers were there in the opening ceremony? Um, at least one. Was that? At least one thousand. At least one thousand. Several thousand. That same night, I went to see eighty-eight drummers uh, perform uh, in in Williamsburg. You know, and that was like a big fucking deal. Like eighty-eight hipster drummers from like indie rock bands. So like we're just you know like that was like a, like. Barely together, definitely a lot less good sounding and intricate than the uh, <laughs> ceremony. So, like, you know, so we've got our 88 hipsters against the uh, thousands and thousands of Chinese drummers. Ryan, what did Anthony Lane say about the about the people? Well, you know, now I don't have it right in front of me, but it boils down to you know he posed a rhetorical question um, that that was something to the effect of, "What does it say about a society that can make shapes out of its people?" Um, you know, and he was talking about contrasting these opening ceremonies to the Berlin opening ceremonies that were captured in the in the film Olympia, and saying that this is saying something about you know this kind of uh, society, whether it's a sort of the totalitarian Nazi state or the you know almost unclassifiable uh, current uh, polity in in China. Matt, do you think that you do you think that your um... The idea that we all sort of drop our swords for one, you know, for one month while we, you know, compete in these time-tested contests of human will celebrating our, you know, common humanity or something like that. Do you think that holds water when the, when the Chinese are obviously putting, putting these events to, are, are just sort of really apparently using these to a political end? This is, I mean, like, it's been described as a kind of international coming out party for China, as if they needed one. Well, when when people use that metaphor, do they mean that China is like a teenage girl or that China's gay? <laughs> you or know, both. I think we should I think we should analyze it as though they mean the latter. Though. Uh... All right, all right, fair enough. No, I, mean, um, I don't know. I mean, mean, I guess I'm, I'm an idealist. I'd like to believe that it's just about the sports, but but truthfully, you know, you're. There's definitely more politics than I'd like to admit. You know, you made the analogy about, you know, making shapes out of its people. And I was actually going to jump in and be like, oh, that happens all the time in like, you know, Super Bowl halftime shows and nobody thinks anything of it. But then again, something jumped into my mind, which is I was watching a little bit of a documentary on the 84 games in Los Angeles, the ones that you were talking about. And I remember the big spectacle from that opening ceremony was the people in the stands holding up colored cards and making pictures. And I think, how American is that? That the spectacle is not these performers on the field, but like the the common people who buy tickets, and like you know, like like they're the show is about you know the viewers and not about like you know I don't know. So I mean, I, I guess so the '84 games they were like they were the the blogosphere before it was it was Web 2.0 before the internet even uh, was a mass phenomenon. It was it was <laughs> user it was user generated um, media. But no, they were given cards with sure. No, with I, 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 right. I don't know. To me, that sounds kind of pathetic, like compared with what China pulled off this year. I I don't know, but it well it depends. Uh, you know, th- th- this idea of opening ceremonies as being this. It's very strange. There's really very little to compare the opening ceremonies of an Olympic Games to. It's really like a once in every four years 
which has very little to do with what follows. You know what I mean? It's sort of like a specter, like that's a chance to, to for the nation to make a real statement, you know, like what you were just saying. Um, you know, it, so if you, if you can't do it with metals, which I guess China clearly can, at least you can do it with, you know, what, whatever, it, you know, you get Bjork or something. Or yes, when, for when, when, when for Reykjavik 2038. Like. <laughs> <laughs> when? I, d- I definitely remember Bjork performing it. Like if it wasn't four years ago, it was like eight years ago. I remember, I don't know. She was like wearing something red. Um, I don't know. She seems very Olympic-y, you know? I guess. Anyway. Was, was that, oh yeah, was that the uh, that was the opening ceremony that, that uh, Matthew Barney was the creative director <laughs> for? <laughs> but there is there is something very like you know, you know what, what is yeah, this she about? Was in Athens four years ago. You're right. I'm sorry for being for totally writing that. I don't. I didn't remember that. I don't know for some reason. I just like Bjork. Okay, Let, let's move on. Wow, Ryan, do you think? I mean, what? Do you think the significance of the opening ceremonies is like you really, really, really don't want to go to war with us? Do you, you know? I mean, it's a few things. Um, I think there's that, but it's also showing. I mean, there's these indirect audiences. I mean, there's a really cool book by a political scientist named Lisa Wadeen, um, uh who did work in uh, in in Syria in the in the 90s, um, and and you know what she is looking at is why did the regime, the um, Assad regime at that time, pull off these huge spectacles where clearly, like, you know, people knew that, like, the regime was not sort of, fail, like, was not uh, foolproof and was not that powerful. And, you know, what she kind of comes to using this kind of Foucauldian uh, framework is that, you know, the fact is, is that they could get still get everybody to come out and, like, do these huge, you know, making... Um, making the huge face of, of Assad with with cards, even though nobody believed in it. And so, like the idea is, you know, I guess the equivalent of the, the Chinese Olympic Games is this, like, you know, it's it's an expression of of power, and it's not just of, you know, it's not just in number of people, but it's in in, in how you can use that, and um, and and saying that you know we have this particular kind of hegemony, we I run this kind of um, social order, and I think it's scary to to the United States. I, um, I mean, it's scary to me because you know, again, um, ours is a much more kind of you know the the idea of a market system is is somewhat uncoordinated, um, and yet order still emerges in in a in a sort of uh, endogenous way. Uh, you know, you know what? I was curious to ask you because you seem to have a good handle on the opening ceremony and what it means. Uh, there was a very well publicized backstory to this opening ceremony where the Chinese sought the involvement of the most American of all filmmakers, Steven Spielberg, and he was supposed to be uh, – I mean I don't know what exactly his role was supposed to be, but I think in the popular imagination, he was going to sort of control the opening ceremonies and then – he backed out for for political reasons, but I don't know why do you. I guess my question is why do you think that the Chinese would have wanted Spielberg involved? Was it to sort of blunt the idea that this is just a uh, you know a, a very nationalistic spectacle? They wanted to make it more of a a Western friendly event. Well, was it like wasn't he called out by Jane Fonda or someone like that? Who? Jane Fonda. Well, that I don't I don't see how that like 
that I don't I feel like being called out by Jade Fonda like isn't that big a deal, but I don't know, it's never happened to me, so maybe maybe when it when it happens I'll be back podcasting about what it's like to have Jane Fonda breathing down your neck. As, maybe that should be the goal of our blog. Like, like are we, we just for Jane Fonda to call us out? Yeah, that, that's. I'm, I'm just going to state that publicly to all, however many hundred of our podcast uh, mm-hmm. listeners, um, that that is my personal goal for uh, for EverythingInIt.com is to be um, to get some some personal pressure from Jane Fonda. Well, I think right. right Steven Spielberg is like what widely acknowledged to be like the most popular filmmaker ever. Yeah, all right, I'll give you that. But so, so, but, but, are, are you saying that getting him involved was to try to make it a, a true world games as opposed to just because obviously there are there are you know Chinese filmmakers they didn't need to bring Spielberg in just to have a, a large vision. No, this is it. It's that they actually knew that Spielberg's personal politics ran counter to the politics of their regime, and I think they were hoping that in in getting to sort of publicly have Steven Spielberg go against things that he believed in, they could demonstrate even more so their power. They could get anybody to do anything. Wow. And so so you're saying you're proud of Mr. Spielberg for sort of like uh, extraditing himself from that moral mousetrap. Exactly. Steven Spielberg will lead the resistance um, against, I don't know. Oh, it was the Sudan. Right, that was the issue. Yeah, was Spielberg. What about right. all right? Go, go ahead. Explain to me. Like, so many. It that? seems like did we say that explicitly? I'm not sure. If oh, we I, I guess it was on my mind. I mean, it seems like there's so many things that you can, you know, uh, freedom of the press, like blocking the internet, human rights abuses, Tibet, equivocal religious freedoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, General so, South's chicken. But the relationship. With, <laughs> what was that? General South's chicken. <laughs> it is. I don't approve of it. I feel like there was actually there was a book actually that's. I mean, it's this sort of like the you know it's like a minor history and a minor cultural anthropology that I guess is really popular in popular nonfiction these days. Uh, but a woman named Jennifer Eight Lee wrote a, a a book about American Chinese food, uh, and you know apparently General Tso's chicken is not a dish seen in uh, in you know. East Asia at all. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. You learn, you learn at least one new thing every day. Well, when you listen to our podcast, you do. Ta-da-da. I mean, though, I, I can't imagine that the U.S. really has any kind of moral standing to accuse anyone of, like, human rights abuses or anything, especially I, in the current climate. I mean, for what, for, what it, for what it's worth, I mean, President Bush did when he was there. He was not shy about making political statements. Uh, I mean, I saw you know he Costas did a surprisingly hard hitting interview with him where he made it clear that like he, you know, didn't he didn't glad handle the Chinese. Although of course he's the lamest of all lame ducks at this point, and I think his disapproval uh, is even less scary than Jane Fonda's. He was. Did you see him sitting in the stands? He was like sitting in the stands. He wasn't even in like a. A luxury box or something like. Are there yeah, luxury no, boxes? I think, I think LeBron and Kobe had better seats than he did. Yeah, <laughs> than the president of the United States did. He, he showed up for the beach volleyball. Yeah, that was moderately. I mean, if you Google um, Bush 
and Misty Mage uh, trainer. I think there's like a photo that's gone around of him checking out her her ass as she's kind of uh, uh, in a prone position, getting ready to receive a a is that... or something. Whatever you know, if your if your wife is in like a different is in the a, a, a different more than five time zones, it's okay to check out another woman's ass, right? She wasn't there, was she? <laughs> you never see Lara Bush. One day we're gonna have to do a podcast about like she could be a superhero because she's never around. Gotta love those beach volleyball outfits. I mean, I. I, I you do, although I wonder, are they really necessary? Like, if you wore shorts, would you be at a disadvantage? I, if you, wore, you know, I'm just in terms I, of like. I appreciate the human form. I don't know about you. I don't know what you're saying. That, like, but what I appreciate it, is the human form. If the bikini helps so much, how come the men don't wear like speedos and no shirt? You know, when they play beach volleyball. You know, you you raise a compelling point. Uh, because one thing is is um, well, see, we live in a patriarchal society, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, dudes think women wearing speedos is awesome, and uh, dudes, dudes think speedos dudes wearing speedos is significantly less awesome. You know, I mean, actually, that that does sort of raise uh, a point, which I think, <laughs> so to I, speak. No, I mean, I, I think. Hey yo. When the Olympics comes around, there's a lot of fascination with the the bodies of the Olympians, both male and female. You know that I mean, like you know, Michael Phelps's bare torso has been very much on display all week. Uh, same thing with like you know Misty May and Carrie Walsh, uh, and you know the the and, and then of course like everybody has an opinion about the female gymnasts. You know how old are they? Are they you know everybody everybody's sort of like staring. You know how how Olympians look. I think is. I don't know. It's a, it's important. It's sort of at its creepiest with the gymnasts because they're the youngest. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and, they are they are the youngest, and and, and sport, I've never really found myself that attracted to the. They don't really seem sexual to well, me. Right, exactly. Their sport rewards a body type that has you know less developed secondary sex characteristics. You're talking about tits now, right? I'm talking about tits and hips. Yeah, but, all right. This is the Can you come up with thing. a journey for hips? Google Carrie Strug. All right, and so and you'll and you'll get in the the top image results. You're gonna have like her. The the number one is her um, with the injured ankle in '96, but the number three three one, like you know she she turned out pretty hot. Um, I'm gonna just go out and say that. Um, Did she grow out her hair? Or? Yeah, she grew out her hair. That's a big part of it, I think. Um, but it's wait. You know, the I mean, number I'm three one that I'm getting is is from hellel.org. That's, that's the one I'm getting as well. <laughs> Is she Jewish? Yeah. Uh, um, in fact, uh, um, according to the caption for that photo, she's embarked on her own Jewish journey. I had no idea that she – wow. This, uh, she would have been much more of a sex symbol for me when I was 16 <laughs> had I known that. That she was not my a sex Yeah. That, uh, wow. Good for – you know, because Jewish athletes, they're – I mean they, there's some of them, but like you know, not a whole, whole lot. And so it's nice to have – you know, Two of the swimmers on uh, Phelps' on the 4x100 uh, uh, medley relay – or no, not the medley relay, but the free relay were, right? Because there was a headline that was published somewhere. It was like, um, a black man and two Jews helped Phelps win the gold. Like, well, that's where was fantastic that headline. Let me see. In like racism today. <laughs> 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 
Well, what must it, I mean, what must it take to get your... I look at the Olympic athletes, and I think that they, they have, like, concentration and focus and commitment greater than what, you know, what the average person will ever know. They're, I mean, they're doing these feats of, of not just strength and not just sort of physical prowess, but also of, like, mental strength. Actually, you know oh, what that was in? That, that headline was in, um, was in, was on, uh, Haaretz.com. I'm glad I could just do segue while you Google things. Actually, that should be the, uh, that should be the title of this, that should be the title of this blog. Three guys Google things together and talk about them. If we needed Google... that, it would actually probably be more popular, you realize. <laughs> but actually, the way that... It would be more that... of a unified concept. <laughs> <laughs> you, made, you made a good point, which is that, like, you know, we, we talked earlier about Olympians being superheroes. I mean, I think, you know, once again, going back to the whole the, the concept of the Olympics, that they are Olympians, that they are literally godlike, you know, that they're somehow, like, superhuman. Or, or certainly that that, that they um, embody, um, you know, divinity in some way, right? Am, am I am I going on the limb, or you know, I mean, uh, I mean that's why it's called the Olympics, right? Well, I think it's called the Olympics in reference to Mount Olympus, right? Which is the home of the gods, yeah, right? Yeah, but like we were going around, we were just like it's just for us, it was just a place we were hanging out. Right, but I, I think I think the whole idea of calling it the Olympics is that like there is you know that that these guys are are gods in some way, right? I suppose. I I don't know. I mean, I I, I do I do feel that like you know they. I, I don't know that maybe we can see a bit of ourselves in in Olympians. I mean, we definitely sort of like we like to identify with them, and we like to you know. The the good qualities we see in them, the sort of dedication, the hard work. Obviously, we can all, you know, we all have some of that in our lives. Just nowhere near an order of magnitude what they have. Well, and so why they, like, they throw out, they they, they do the uh, the montages of these sort of uh, tragic backstories. You know, the the, the parents yeah. who who abandon no, I noticed... or the pornographic photos that are leaked to the internet. Who has pornographic photos? The, oh yeah, no, no, that French, that French swimmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a messed up story, by the way. The, I mean, the whole thing about her boyfriend dumped her for her arch rival swimmer, uh-huh. and then leaked pornographic photos of her to sort of cement the breakup. Um, and to top it all off, she's really slow now. <laughs> She is. I. I'm not saying I'm faster than her. Yeah. Oh well. At least she's still got. I don't know. Her French citizenship. She'll always have Paris. I suppose. So <laughs> haven't haven't you noticed like an astonishing lack of that? Like Costas isn't really cutting away to cutting away to like the tragic backstories. And I kind of like that. I, I, I like show me the sports, you know. I feel like there's there's been a decision somewhere to have like sort of less stories, to you know to, to focus more more sort of wall to wall Michael Phelps, more like women's gymnastics, and less like every night they're hitting you with like you know five more biographies of people that like you know come and go like that. You know, uh, it's probably a smart. You can't argue with success, and that these Olympics, as a uh, you, you asked a question, I think before we started, about why it is that that people care so much about these sports, which 
nobody in the world could could care less about like a track meet, you know, in two years from now. But four years from now, people would would pay thousands of dollars for those tickets. Uh, so like, what it is, like, why the Olympics matters? Did you have thoughts about that when you raised that question, Ryan? Hmm. No, I think I, but I think the way Matt articulated it, what it was exactly. Um, what I was was wondering, I was sort of articulating it as a as an open question because, I mean, I was finding myself, you know, I mean, I I don't watch sports that much. I follow them in a casual way, but I would say ninety five percent of my TV viewing in the last week has been Olympics, and it's just it's just odd. And it's, 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 it, there's no good answer. It's endogenous. Like, well, why are we watching this? Well, because it's the Olympics. Um, and, you know, but I have watched... That's this. the word of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Not <Indogeneity. laughs> right. uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, I have, I have one I theory, and I don't think it's a, it's a total explanation, is that if I wanted to, I could go out tonight and get myself some turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes, but I won't because that's not what we do today. That's what we do on Thanksgiving, and and even though it's delicious on Thanksgiving, if you did it like you know every Friday night, it somehow would not be as special. Because in the dining hall, when they would do that, put that meal <laughs> out there, it was Thanksgiving night, and that was fucking sweet. It wasn't every Friday, but like every six weeks or so, it was Thanksgiving night, and that was cool. It wasn't as cool as real Thanksgiving, but it was still cool. Um. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I did say it was a partial explanation. I mean, to, to some extent, it's it's a sort of like it's, it's a self fulfilling prophecy that like we care about these events because everyone else cares about them, you know. And like like you know, they I think we want to feel feel united. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to sound like one of those Morgan Freeman commercials that they're playing again. By the way, does anyone find it creepy that like Morgan Freeman is all over these Olympics and he's like in the hospital, he's getting divorced. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he has I guess, costs, I guess, I guess, I guess, also Visa just like, like it was a sump fucking cost, like, and like Don Cheadle was busy, so they couldn't like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what? Like, well, we just gotta run him. Like, who, do you, even, like, who do you get? I guess you get James Earl Jones. I guess that's the only other option. But, but, well, let, let me say this: Were any of you guys uh, out in public when Michael Phelps raced over the last week, like at a restaurant or? I don't do those things anymore. I'm writing a dissertation right now. <laughs> I right. only watch the Olympics in, in solitude. No, but, yeah, only, but, only watches them on NBC.com. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I have slightly more of life than you guys. But uh, all right, so I was at a restaurant, and, and it came time for Michael Phelps, and everyone sort of knew, and there was like a TV near the bar. And everyone sort of like over those five minutes like got up, like left their food, and went over to the bar. And it was like literally the kind of thing that you never see in the United States that that – I mean you know, in other countries. This is what I imagine like really caring about soccer is like that like it really sort of like everyone stops what they are doing. And like you're, you're – whoever is next to you when those things happen, you're going to hug them. It doesn't matter who they are. And it, and it was sort of nice because I feel that – To be sure it's not a dude, um, right? Like – Right, so you, whenever yeah. you're watching Michael Phelps race, stand next to a very hot chick. Like. Michael Phelps is human mistletoe, basically. <laughs> but 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 it is because I feel like we do live in a very divided nation nowadays. That like there's a lot of feeling that that our country is sort of like there there you know to, to paraphrase the the philandering asshole uh, John Edwards. There are at least two Americas nowadays. <laughs> but uh, but you know but. It, 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 
<laughs> we just hit the point of this whole podcast. Like that, the whole podcast was prelude to that. <laughs> but but I, I guess my point is that like you know. Michael Phelps, especially in the Olympics in general, it's it's nice to feel that like you're rooting for the same thing as everyone else. You right. know, I'll, before I'll you actually, go back I'll to feeling you. that like you're isolated in your sort of like liberal, you know, uh, ghetto. I, I actually – we're doing this podcast from a liberal ghetto actually. Yeah, no, I mean I, I think of Manhattan as sort of like this blue island in like a besieged – I don't know. I think of it as like a very blue city and like a a less blue state and like I don't know. But it's, it's in a, nice in a less to... in a less blue country. Though I I mean I think those I think those distinctions don't mean as much as Karl Rove wants us to think they mean. But I'll say this, I'll go you one better Matt and say even like I think that America as a whole is anxious about its standing in the world. You know, and that our our reputation internationally is you know really took a nosedive. Uh, you know, circa circa 2003, when you know we had everything going for us, right? Uh, not to be cynical about it, but like you know, everyone was, was you know, we are all Americans, you know. And I, uh, God, I'm gonna edit this out. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think honestly, America has had a tough time. Since uh, these tragic events of September 11th, and it's nice to win every once in a while. I think Obama should choose Michael Phelps as his running mate. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you 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 joke, but uh, I'd love to see the 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 uh, the Gallup polls on that one. He has foreign policy experience. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's been to China. (laughs) All right, this has been uh, an hour of the Overthinking It podcast with Matthew Belinky. Thank you for joining us. You know. Actually, guys, I was wondering if we could do something to end the podcast. Okay. Uh, if we could sort of join in a a, uh, a musical rendition of the Olympic theme. I was going to be one of the timpanies, and one of you could be the lower timpanies. So we'd be like, dum, 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 dum. dum. And then somebody else could be like, do, 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 do. I'll let you guys decide which part um, you I'll be the low timpanies? Okay, so I'll be like, do, and then you'd be like, do. do. Okay. Okay. Wait. No. No. You ready? You ready? Okay. You ready? I'm gonna start. You ready? Do 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 Three of us, three of us can't coordinate a fucking beatbox. We're fucking done, man. <laughs> our country is over, and so is our podcast. Thank you for joining us, Matt Thank Blinky you. and Ryan Sheely. I am Matt Rather. Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. Though after that podcast, you probably want to unsubscribe. <laughs> Go USA. <laughs> USA. USA. USA.